Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hello and welcome to Nerdette Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Sagal. I'm Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita and we are joined by Peter Sagal who is, paint a picture for us, Peter. Where are you at this moment? I I am actually uh, sitting in my bedroom at home uh, because my living room was too echoey. Yes. (laughs) Uh, And I am sitting on my bed with a glass of sake. We were discussing beforehand, like, is sake nerd whiskey? I think it is. I don't is. know. And I think whiskey is nerd whiskey. Yes. But we are glad you are joining us, just so folks know why it sounds like you're in a different room. You are. I'm in a different room. It's the magic of radio, everyone. We should. We, everybody should know who's been following along closely that we are actually recording this right after the feed of Game of Thrones in Central Time, which means it's after 9 o'clock and Reddit <laughs> is still awake. <laughs> I'm exhausted, you guys. I know. I'm so, did you, did, are you, I imagine you like at one of my daughters when she was young at like, you know, like at a movie where are you, are you like in your jammies already? So no, I you wish. just put you right to bed? No, because I'm still at work, you know. Oh. <laughs> and for the record, I have been awake since 6 a.m. And for the record, what you're wearing is basically pajamas. <laughs> Thank you. I can't see, so. The beauty of they have a little radio. And, and, you you actually what did you watch it on, uh, Trisha? Did you you didn't watch it on your phone? Did you watch it in an actual TV at least? So WBEZ <laughs> has a big TV screen in the conference room that we normally put boring things like spreadsheets about story ideas on, but turns out it can also play Game of Thrones, and it was a little overwhelming for someone who's used to watching it in your phone. Were you amazed how large they were? <laughs> it was, and I also made Greta stop and pause several times so that we could look at how dumb people's faces look. So there's a lot of bad reaction acting in the crowd scenes and, if and you look. Closely. Only finding that out now, I find that hilarious. <laughs> yes, you've never you've you've all been tiny little pink dots. These faces to you <laughs> now they have expressions, sometimes silly, mm-hmm. very silly, so upsetting. Oh, for it's the a record, whole new though, for you. Trisha, I feel like you were very deprecating about all those spreadsheets, which is inaccurate. I just want to point that out. Oh, those I do love the spreadsheets. spreadsheets. They're my spreadsheets. Yes. <laughs> okay, so we are here to recap. Season 5, Episode 9 of Game of Thrones, which was called The Dance of Dragons. Before we start, can I read the IMDb synopsis of this episode? Yes, please. (laughs) It's so good. John returns to the wall. Arya runs into someone from her past. Mace visits the Iron Bank. Stannis faces a difficult decision. Daenerys oversees a celebration of athleticism. They tell you just enough to not tell you anything. (laughs) It's really... Can we can we say enough? Can we say something for the poor people who have to write these things? Because you uh-huh. have to identify the episode uh-huh. without giving away any spoilers. And it's hard. Right. No, I mean, it was pretty well done given the fact that it is it actually doesn't say anything. I think- and is it is it time to mention the greatest summary of all time? What would uh, that be? Which was in the New York Times. I believe this is real, although it should be apocryphal. In the New York Times, when I was growing up, you used to look in the New York Times TV listings, and they had little, very one-line descriptions of movies, uh, very brief, I mean. And the one for The Wizard of Oz at one time, at least on one day, was girl goes to mystical land, kills the first person she meets, 
goes on to kill again. Wow, that's so That's good. basically it. It is. It sums up the movie. <laughs> you know, I'm glad to hear you mention The Wizard of Oz because that last scene at the Great Games with Danny surrounded by her little crew of people really reminded me of The Wizard of Oz. In what way? <laughs> Excellent question, like, Peter. Like, oh, as like, you know, so in much the same way that Dorothy had her cowardly lion and her tin yeah, man and her scarecrow, yeah, yeah. she had her, I don't know, sellsword and her lovelorn Westerosi knight. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So tomato, which is tomato. which in your view? I, I think, I don't know, you could probably play Frack, Mary Kill with those three right there, right? I right. think she has <laughs> and will. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about that and what else happened this week. And we'll hear some of your calls right here on Nerdette Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Sakel. We would also love it if you checked out our latest episode of our regular Nerdette show. This week we talked to the creators and cast of Welcome to Night Vale. It's this crazy mix of like, pageantry and like rocky horror picture show cult phenomenon that you know where people pick their favorite characters and they dresses them and they come in groups where you know you'll have a whole group of hooded figures and they'll be holding a sign that says don't enter the dog park it's amazing it's like halloween that's Welcome to Night Vale on the latest episode of Nerdette Proper. You can catch that or any of our previous episodes at wbez.org slash podcasts. Back to our conversation about this week's episode of Game of Thrones. This conversation, like the show itself, will be HBO rated. And if I'm not mistaken, there were no racks or butts in episode nine. There was even a brothel, but no racks or butts. Yeah. I was very disappointed because when <laughs> we went into that brothel in, uh, I guess this was the first brothel in Bravos, a Bravosi brothel. Uh, I was like, oh, I see. We're going to have a brothel scene. So there will be lots of racks and butts and racks. And no, there were not a single one. Were there really no butts? Wasn't there like a a flicker of a butt? I don't know. We Uh, were watching it on a pretty large screen to have not noticed. That's true. Yeah, there was was nothing. And it was almost, it was weirdly modest. Although there was such, I mean, there has never been an array of cleavage like we saw (laughs) in that display (laughs) for uh, Sir Marin Trant with each of the girls, all of whom were too old, as each one brought out more eclectic and interesting kinds of cleavage. I think really the hero of this episode was the costume designer. Oh God, I thought you were going to say Trant and I was going to be so upset. No, he was was creepy. So he's kind of a pederast. That's fine. Yeah. We we didn't expect much from him. Two thirds of those costumes were inspired by Katy Perry's latest tour. So we'll give the costume designer some credit. But I'm just saying there were some homages there. I'm sorry. I thought it it was hilarious when the the brothel keeper brought out and said, how about this one? She's the most expensive girl. And then her bra started shooting out fireworks. So maybe (laughs) you were right. Well, let's just stay in Marine then, since we were already talking a little about Danny and we're talking about what the episode ended with, because I think we're going to probably want to talk more later about what's going on in the North and Stannis. Yes. So let's maybe start in Marine. I've noticed that our, our, our recaps have gone from, you know, I, I guess I don't know what the word is, you know, through the show, you know, term, you know, sort of in order through the show. Now we're working our way up to greater and greater emotional trauma. Yeah, <laughs> so basically. You notice that? So yeah. we start, oh, this is the mild stuff, and then we work our way up. So do you want to start with, we'll start with Marine then. Well, you had your big fight, Greta. That's what you wanted. Yeah, that was exactly what I pictured. Except without all the Sons of the Harpy, obviously. Well, they were a big surprise. Again, we comment on the masks. Right. You know what? Dude, 
I said as we were watching, I was like, man, you know, Peter was this is the one time I've ever said this, Peter. I said Peter was right about how they should have just killed the guy who made those masks. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> it's like, why haven't they attacked in the intervening like whenever it was three episodes since we lost her barristan? They had to make masks. Oh, so many masks. Like, oh my god, we can't have the big attack at the pit. We gotta make everybody has to have a mask. <laughs> also, how does this work? It's like we're all going to sneak up on the queen and kill her. This will be great. This is what I want everybody to do, okay? They're having a meeting in the little Sons of the Heartbeat Clubhouse. What I want everybody to do is I want everybody to get one of these gold masks we've made at great expense and trouble, and I want you to put it on so that everybody knows you're a rebel. (laughs) And somebody raises their hand and goes, excuse me, uh, sir, wouldn't it make more sense if we looked like everybody else, and therefore when we appear and start our fight, no one knows that it's us? And he says, shut up. That's not how we do this. And he says, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, we all complain when we go to a sporting event that we have to open our bags before we go inside. It sort of takes an extra couple minutes. And I always wonder, you know, what could they possibly see in that very cursory glance? They never really look in your bag. They could see They just have you pull it open real quick and they're like, oh, that looks like stuff. Okay. And you close it and you keep going. But I guess a big, shiny, gold, heavy mask would be spotted in that instance. I, I, I do love the idea that you imagine that at the gates of the great fighting pit of Marines, there are security <laughs> stations bags. and like metal detectors. Yep. No, yeah. it's like we're not checking for gold masks. We're just checking for closed containers of alcohol. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's all we care about. You can't about. bring in your own sandwiches, but those gold masks, those are fine. <laughs> Carry on. Was the, was the conversation uh, on the, I guess, the podium with uh, – the Ooh. now late, um, whatever his name is, Hills, Hillzak, Hill, Hildy, his, Harriet the Spy, what is his, his name? Dar. Harriet the Spy, we his will now call him his daughter, her husband, as we could call husband. him. Did they get uh, married? Well, now they're betrothed. But was that not philosophical debate over strong versus quick and, you know, Large versus was that not small. tedious? That was tedious. Oh, I, I mean, I thought that part was tedious, but I did really like Tyrion expressing disdain for the fights. I thought that was nice. And the line, my father would have liked you. You don't approve. There's always been more than enough death in the world for my taste. I can do without it in my leisure time. Fair enough. Yet yeah, it's an unpleasant question. But what great thing has ever been accomplished without killing or cruelty? It's easy to confuse what is with what ought to be, especially when what is has worked out in your favor. I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about the necessary conditions for greatness. That is greatness? That is a vital part of the great city of Mirin, which existed long before you or I, and will remain standing long after we have returned to the dirt. My father would have liked you. Yeah, that was a very good line. I thought that was great. Um, yeah, so that was fun. And then, of course, you know, it, were, were you a little worried for Danny? No. No, but I was wondering how she was going to call the dragon. So now we know apparently all she has to do is close her eyes and think Look really freaked out. Yes. And they come. There, there's there's no place like home. What, there exactly. are a lot of Wizard of Oz parallels now that we think Thank of it. Thank you. Yeah, there's no place like home. There's no dragon like mine. And There's then the no dragon, dragon came like and got some spears, which made me sad. Yeah, it started to feel like a bullfight. Just so you know, and I will say this a couple of times, we are now more or less where the last book ends when it comes to Danny. One of the last things we see her do in the books is fly off on that dragon from the pits, although the circumstances are different. And that is true 
in many storylines that we have now finally getting to the end of in episode nine. So what this means, and I did not expect this, is that with this season, season five of a TV series we were told will have seven seasons. Is that right? We are now at the end of the written material. Nobody has any idea what's going on next. I think I don't it's- even... I think it's really funny, Peter, that you have only just now realized this. I it thought is, this is it, what it, you had been talking about this entire time. No, no, it's really strange because I, I, I was basically in denial. I, yeah, I think very, you were. There are two very thick books to get through, <laughs> starting with this season. And apparently what they realized is something that a lot of the readers of the books knew but wouldn't admit, which is there's a lot of filler in those books. (laughs) And if you get rid of all the, you know, new characters and names and history lessons and and weird reflections on the mythical past, you end up with pretty skinny (laughs) storylines. And that's what we've had. It's just it just I feel like I'm facing my own mortality. I felt like that as soon as it started to snow. Yeah. Yeah. Once snow. it started to snow and they sort of said winter isn't coming, it's here. Because, yeah, like we said, what we've learned is that none of the fighting for the Iron Throne really matters because it's all going to be a humans versus White Walkers fight. Right. And that's what's coming. And so we may as well just hop to it. We've got things right. to do. So Let me that... ask one question before we move on uh, because there isn't much more to say about the doings in Marine as exciting there were to watch. Um, what was Jorah thinking as it turned <laughs> out? <laughs> He, he rescued Danny by throwing that spear in a timely fashion and then sort of helping to protect her until the dragon came. But he couldn't have anticipated that, right? Right. So all this time as he's trying to get in front of the pits to fight for her, what was he planning on? Just a noble death in front of her to make her feel bad? I don't know. Is, I, we, but, yeah, I was thinking about that out loud during that scene. It's like, okay, so is he going to be mortally wounded and she's going to cry over him? Like what actually is he thinking is going to happen that will it, work to his advantage it, here? Was it like a teenager thing? It's like when I die, she's going to be so sad. Exactly. She's going to be real pissed that she did that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe he figured that since the only one track mind thing he can do is want to be near her, it was one last way to be near her one last time. Yeah, I guess. Yes. That's annoying. In a really just know. simple, sad way. Yes, he almost kind of blew a little kiss before <laughs> at the very end there. It was sad. It was a he did pathetic. do a lot of dramatic making of eye contact. Uh. Yes, which you are aware of for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> it was really too large it was jarring i should have gone with an intermediate sized screen it yeah. felt a little yeah. too big yeah it's, you should watch rewatch the whole series now and you'd be like oh my god <laughs> Tyrion is a man <laughs> i didn't know he's so petite so tell me you guys did you think this episode it seemed to me that each section seemed longer than normal you know like there there's often so much jumping around to so many different places this episode really focused on what Three, three. Four, yeah, basically three? it was Green, Bravos, well, Dorn, and the yeah. North. So yeah, yeah that's four. There, no there King's was a, Landing. There was a little bit of you know just showing uh, to no real end. Uh, John returning to the Wall with that moment is like, is Alistair Thorne going to let him in? Yes. You have a good heart, John Snow. It'll get us all killed. That was a good line. Yes, and and that kind of strange look from Ollie. Yeah, where John yeah, goes, hey, lame. buddy, and Ollie just goes, f*** you. <laughs> <laughs> All with their eyes. 
so many she, conversations all, all with amazing. eyeballs. All of a sudden, she can see their eyes and be eating all this. <laughs> yeah, she's really picking up on a lot <laughs> yeah. more nuance than normal. It's true. Is that all we need to say about Jon Snow? I think this well, is. I, I think, and, and like a lot of readers of the books were doing some mental calculations. So I and a lot of book readers are anticipating what's going to happen in the final episode of this season and how it, what exactly Ollie is going to end up doing. And I'm going to give a little knowing look to all our listeners who read the books. You know what I mean? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, nodding back. Oh. I'll spoil it here. But he, he, his fate is set. But yeah, you were right. Obviously, just three big storylines done more or less in, co- in coherent chunks, right? First, we should go there now maybe because we already referenced it, Bravos, mm-hmm. where, um, where uh, Arya was distracted from her mission of putting an end to the insurance business in the world of <laughs> Thrones. Because Lord Tyrell shows up. With right. Trant, the jerkiest Ar- king's guard. Because Arya runs into someone from her past. Right, yes. who's on her list. And do we all remember why she hates Marin Trant? It took me a second. No, but we were hoping you would know. We hate, or rather, well, I do too. I'm with Arya. <laughs> but she hates Marin Trant because she believes that Marin Trant killed Sirio Farrell, her dancing master, her swordsmanship right. instructor. Uh, although... We do not know that Cyril Farrell is dead. When last seen, he was facing Marin Trant holding half a stick. And so, he's pretty good. So maybe he made Maybe he it. didn't die. We don't know. But she thinks he's dead. And uh, I think, in fact, at one point earlier, she says, he killed Mir. In fact, she had that very interesting conversation with uh, the Hound. Who can I say? I miss the Hound. I do, too. Yeah. We all miss the Hound. She had, this, she had the conversation with him. She said, you know, he killed Cyril Farrell and... And the hound points out in his gentle way that he was able to do that because he had armor and a, quote, big fucking sword. <laughs> uh, so anyway, that's why Arya really hates Marin Trant and was so distracted from her mission of ending the insurance business uh, by his appearance. And it's easy to be a to faceless man the- yeah, when you're not faced with someone from your kill list and now yes. she is. Yeah. And so – and then uh, she was able to get a long way into that brothel carrying a big <laughs> tray of shellfish, which we assume – in the semi-tropical heat, was getting a Ooh, little ripe. I yeah. thought that was kind of interesting. I did think of it as like here in Chicago, and I'm sure in other cities there's this thing where <laughs> if you're in a bar or a nightlife type place, sometimes weirdly just kind of when you need it, like you know, a, well into the evening, uh, a man shows up and he's carrying tamales in a cooler. You, He's so like the tamale you're, man. You are comparing Arya to the tamale guy of Chicago. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> I think so. I think it may. I don't think tamales would smell that bad, though, after. <laughs> well, but in the I cooler, think too. Also, can we anticipate the showdown between how the showdown, shall we say, between Marin Trant and Arya will come to be, given what we've just learned about Marin Trant's Oof. preferences when it comes yeah. to a temporary companionship? Yeah. So if he needs a fresh virgin every night. Yes. She's going to be one of them in the brothel, and then she's going to kill him. That's what we can. I and wasn't going to say that, but it the seems the faceless I mean, man is going to be pissed at her, though, because that's not what the faceless Arya would do. That's what Arya would do, and so she might get kicked out of the House of Black and White for killing someone on her kill list. Right, and would that be a bad thing? No, but I think know. that's where she's going to end the season. Is she's going to get revenge on someone from her kill list, but she's also going to be cast out and be alone again. I'm cool with that. Yeah, we were kind of <laughs> tired of that. Yeah, yeah. You know, we want we leave. wanted them to teach her some like cool assassination tricks. We didn't want them to send her to really strike back against a whole new uh, style of financial instruments. In- <laughs> <laughs> I do like the oysters thing, though. I think that's good. Nationwide is on your side. I don't know why. Every time we talk about it's it, it's going to be stuck in my head for the rest of my life now. 
<laughs> Thank you, Trisha. You're welcome. Shall we go to Dorn? Let's go to Dorn, Let's where go to Dorn. it all turned out to be pointless. <laughs> Dude, Dorn, I was I was thinking if there was one storyline over the past nine episodes that I could just like get rid of completely. And I'm sorry about Braun. I do love him. But other than that, like, I just don't give a shit about Dorn, man. Well the, well, the reason you don't give a shit, and this is not due as it usually is to your, your shallowness of oh. affect, it, it's, it's, it's that it amounted to nothing, this entire commando exactly. raid on Dorn. He says, oh, you can take her back. You should have asked. You want my son, too? Here. Here he is. They should get married. Okay. So it turns out this whole surreptitious mission to Dorn was pointless because he could have just shown up and asked, asked and we would have ended up in the same, the same outcome, which is silly. I mean, why did we do all this? I mean, uh, it, it certainly gave uh, Jamie and Braun something to do and kept those actors employed. I'm all for that. Something to do is not a good enough reason to have no, it be. But no, it, it's, yeah, it's, no. it's totally disappointing. But, Trisha, you did have some good insight about the conversation that Jamie had sort of setting up the Targaryen. Oh, yeah. Sometimes it feels like all of these storylines are just so they can throw in weird exposition they need us to know going forward. So when it was Jamie being told, hey, man, no judgment. If you were a Targaryen, you could totally f*** your sister and it'd be fine because that's what they do. A hundred years ago, no one would have blinked an eye at you if you'd been named Targaryen. It's always changing who we're supposed to love and who we're not. The only thing that stays the same is that we want who we want. Can I say, I just want to say in passing that the 9.30 p.m. Trisha I know, is man. definitely different from the 9.30 a.m. I'm Trisha. not a morning person, this you guys. This is so Apparently. saucy right but now. But is it it's better? blowing my mind. I, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> I think it's late. Uh, I think you watch them in a very large screen, so you're overwhelmed by how big they are. Yeah. And yeah. I, li- I like what it's giving us. It's fun. <laughs> I was also in New York City for three days, and it's just a cursier place, I guess. I guess so. But is I think we can dismiss is? the whole thing of Dorn saying, the whole thing was pointless. Nothing was accomplished. Nobody was killed. <laughs> All The entire thing boiled down to Braun getting a sock in the jaw. That's it. Yeah. Could Which we have done that in episode guess. one and be done with this whole subplot? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I do want is a sing-off between <laughs> Braun and Lord Tyrell. <laughs> that was really kind of great, actually. I, I mean, because we haven't seen much of Lord Mace Tyrell, right? Mm-hmm. He's sort of been there and kind of going every now and then. But this was like his longest scenes. And he is hilarious. He's so hilariously annoying. I also made Greta stop the episode 21 minutes in when they get off the boat because the person who's showing them around is Mark <laughs> Gatiss. Yes. From Sherlock, who's the yes. writer showrunner of Sherlock, who must have just said, I enjoy the Game of Thrones. I would like to, I would like to be in it now. Thank you. And just got himself oh, on the show for fun. Mark Gatiss, he plays, um, doesn't he play Sherlock's Mycroft. brother in yeah. Sherlock? Mycroft, yeah. Yeah, and he's also he's the writer and showrunner of that show. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, he and uh, he and Stephen Moffat co-create oh, that show together. I knew it was Stephen Moffat, so that's interesting to me because he he was in it before. <laughs> he played uh, the head banker of the Iron Bank in the scene in which Davos convinces them to lend Stannis money. Oh, I had forgotten that it was a recurring yeah, character. Yeah, so that's not it, 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 if he did decide that. Oh, I'd like to be in Game of Thrones. He decided it a couple of years ago. <laughs> wow! But now yeah. we have to go to the camp. Okay. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen 
as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. All right. This is well, his I, I best mean, well, dad ever mug. So I just want to make sure we've covered it. <laughs> so Marin Trant likes Slim Young, and that I think is going to be, we all anticipate that will be his downfall. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Mace Terrell was annoyingly but delightfully uh, annoying, I guess. Delightfully annoying. Uh, and that's about it. So, yes, we're done. Let's move on. Ugh. To the terrible north. We saw this coming, right? I yeah, mean, if you were to yeah. piece together our various conversations, and let's say it together, Stannis. Ugh! Ugh. Yes. We knew that he was being set up to do something terrible and to make a hard choice. And uh, he sure did, oh. you know. That and scene, they dragged that out as much as they could. That scene with Shireen and Davos was the most oh. heartbreaking part. Where oh, oh. Oh, he tried – and the fact that Davos knows exactly what's going on and just comes out and says, can I take her with me? Please don't let – you know, don't make me leave her behind so you can burn her alive. And then he goes to say goodbye to her and she's carrying the stag that he carved oh. with her in his hand all the way up to the – oh, oh. oh. Stannis. Oh. So you know what I got to thinking about during this scene other than that Stannis is the worst? <laughs> No argument now. Is <laughs> Yep, we're done arguing that point. I think it was pretty much the first scene in the first book when Jon Snow goes with Ned Stark to watch an execution, right? Yeah. Technically and, the second scene, but I'm not going to point that out because that makes me a nerd. Okay, thank you, Peter. And the whole deal, the whole thing that Ned says is if you are to be the arbiter of justice, you have to be the one to swing the sword. The sword yourself, as, as Ned puts it. And as he does. Yeah, that's something that I feel like keeps coming up throughout the series. Like, I feel like Ned Stark is the only one of the only ones who actually swings the sword himself. And Jon Snow did. And Jon right. Snow did exactly. But all the other characters, Danny doesn't. You know, do it. Danny, right? And and that was just something I got to thinking about with this scene with Stannis too. And I guess maybe Melisandre had too because she's you know closer to God or but whatever. He wouldn't even get in Shireen's eye but line. Yeah, it was just another like because he was too cowardly to do that to have to look her in the eye that on top of it all i just found to be especially difficult and frustrating to watch it it was i mean they really i don't want to say rubbed their noses in it but they didn't let anybody off easy you know they made stannis do this thing they played out the execution the burning of poor shireen the screaming oh the screaming was bad we again tip our hat but in an angry and unhappy way toward the sound designers uh and they made us sort of go through that whole thing in stages like you say davos saying goodbye the father coming and saying i'm sorry you know just just the worst, as you say. But let, let, me, let me try something here with you ladies. Do you have anywhere in, in, in the deepest recesses of your calculating mind any sympathy for Stannis's predicament? He's stuck in the cold. His men are dying. They had some great shots of some pretty corpse-like men. <laughs> um, they've just lost, you know, God knows how much food and supplies. This, in, as far as he knows, is the only way out. 
No, it's not. He could have marched back to Castle Black and waited out the winter. He absolutely could have gone back. Davos told him he had another choice. The only reason he didn't have a choice is because he didn't want to be known as the one who ran away. He let right. pride murder his daughter. Oh, well, I tried. I got no <laughs> argument. I got no argument. <laughs> I, just, I just thought for the sake of argument, because the, I think the writers did everything they could to conjure up his reasons so that his decision could be as rational as it could be given the stakes, given what he wants, given what he thinks, given what he believes has to be done. Um, and he, it doesn't even line, you know, if I had had time, I would have watched it again where he said, sometimes a man has to make a choice no matter how awful it is or how terrible it is. If you'd had to choose between Rhaenyra and Aegon, who would you have chosen? I wouldn't have chosen either. Just all the choosing sides that made everything so horrible. Sometimes a person has to choose. Sometimes the world forces his hand. A man knows what he is and remains true to himself. The choice is no choice at all. He must fulfill his destiny and become who he is meant to be, however much he may hate it. And clearly it's not – I mean we, we know thanks to those lovely nifty scenes that they wrote in earlier the season that he actually loves Shireen and, and feels a fatherly affection for her. And so this is set up so it is – I know this is a terrible thing to say about a man who just burned his daughter to death. But it is a, a sacrifice for him as well. It's also not unfamiliar to our narrative about religion that faith requires the sacrificing of your loved ones. Right. I mean there's plenty of that in the Bible. Right. But the thing about that that I would take issue with is that he hasn't like he still has so much doubt, you know, for someone who doesn't seem to have completely bought into this monotheistic situation. He sure was quick to sacrifice his daughter. Well, keep in mind, I mean, you have to go back with Stannis's uh, history. Remember that, you know, he he won these victories over Renly uh, and in the book, another one as well. Uh, by listening to Melisandre and doing what she said. And then Davos advised him to leave Melisandre behind for his attack on, on King's Landing and the Battle of the Blackwater, and he lost. Yeah. yeah. And, and since then, as I think Melisandre pointed out, it must have been the last episode. I mean, remember, you know, we, we did these sacrifices and all these, your enemies died. So he has all the reason in the world to believe that uh, this will work. And in fact, you know, Matt Iglesias, who, who uh, I don't want to give him too much of a plug, but does some very smart recaps for, I think they're <laughs> over on Vox. Uh, he pointed out that in the, in the world of uh, Game of Thrones, there are various gods, but only one has been seen to bring dead people back to life. And that would be uh, Azor Hazai. That would be the red god that Melisandre worships. So it's, it's not a bad bet, really, to go with this particular form of sacrifice. Yeah, but man, I I just want to sum this up with a tweet we just got 47 seconds ago that says, well, now it's official. Hashtag Stannis is the worst. He is the worst. But even even though I agree that he is the worst and man, did they really, as we say, drag out his worstness. I still I have a little pang of sympathy for the guy. You know, he did what he thought he had to do. And it was a hard thing to do. Somebody compared him to Agamemnon. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, it's not displaced because Agamemnon in Greek myth is the guy who's, who did exactly the same thing, yeah. who was forced 
in a world in which gods actually exist and have potency, he was forced to sacrifice his daughter to them so that he could move his army and fulfill his destiny. It's the same story. And it's, it's perceived in you know, that, that imagination in which gods are real in Greek mythos as a necessary and tragic sacrifice as opposed to a psychopathic murder of your own offspring. And in this world, you can make an argument that it's more like Agamemnon than it is crazy. I just really like to hear you use the phrase, in a world where gods actually exist and have potency. <laughs> well, they do. I mean, you know, seriously. And if you, if you were... <laughs> you know what I'm saying, dude. I, I know. Someone will be really offended that you said that. Yeah, well, as long as your mother's not. Your mother is now the only listener I care about. <laughs> She's going to be so happy. To oh, then we that. should say the one thing she wanted us to say before we go to our break, which is that she and, is and correct. I thought of it. I was watching the scenes up at the wall and I thought of your mother. But... At the wall in the north, Mary Johnson has a concern. Put some hats on those boys. Yes, and girls. Where's the hats? And girls. Why yeah, aren't they wearing They're, they're just hats. walking around bareheaded. It's, it's, it's unwise, even when they're all very hairy, as is uh, Tormund Giants paint. So to sum up, gods in the real world, not the seven kingdoms, are not potent. Right. And well, they should be wearing more hats in the north. Yeah. Okay. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so we want to take some listener questions, but I think first we should look forward, right? Can we make some predictions? Well, I have some fairly decent ideas based on just narrative arcs and, and reading the books. But nine you guys go episodes first. in. Nine's, uh, nine episodes in. Peter doesn't have facts. He has ideas. That's oh, almost an opinion. Wow. I, I, I'm, I, I'm a little rocked and it's late at night. So, you know. <laughs> What about feelings? No? Still too soon? Uh, Too soon for feelings? feelings. All right. Peter, you start. What are your ideas? Well, like I said, I think that the the dramatic arcs are pointing very clearly at uh, a couple of things. First of all, Arya using uh, her fresh youth, let us say, to get close enough to Marin Trant to um, knock him off her list. And I think, uh, Greta, you're correct in that that will probably do it for her career as a religious assassin or a member of a religious assassin sect, I think we shall see her booted out and then headed back toward the main arena. I think that uh, Jon Snow is headed for an unpleasant, if not necessarily terminal fate. Um, I won't say more because there is a book spoiler here that I don't want to say anything about. But I think that everything's been set up to follow out for him to at least uh, endure some some uh, recompense for the choices he's made. And I think Ollie will play a significant part in that. Yeah, he um, better because we've been watching him sulk around for a long oh, time. Yeah. Yeah, that's Sk- true. Some of us have seen his, seen his sulky face and his skulky face more than you have. But yes, it's been there all along, <laughs> And And the, the other big question is the, is, remains the big question because it's been off the map book-wise for the whole season, which is what is going to happen certainly now that Stannis has made this let's say, sacrifice between his army and Ramsay's army uh, or Ramsay and Roos over in Winterfell. That needs to come to some sort of conclusion. I don't think you can, um, to really misuse Chekhov, uh, show this gun (laughs) and not have it fired by the end of the season. So something's got to happen. And it's a really interesting question for where you want to leave Stannis at the end of the next hour of programming. Do you Leave him, if you're the showrunners and you have his fate in your hands as your character, do you want to leave him feeling, yes, the sacrifice of my daughter accomplished something, I am victorious, I continue on my road to my destiny, King's Landing, or does he end up with something much less significant, a stalemate, or even a defeat? 
I mean, you could say that, you know, maybe the best justice and the best place for Stannis to end up as a character is defeated, bloody and battered after he after Bruce Bolton kicks his ass. Yeah. And then he's like, what the hell was that for? You can also argue that, he, you know, will will win, you know, with the help of the the sacrifice and the red god being propitiated. And then he's sitting and going, great, I won. But what did it cost me? I don't know what choice they're going to make. They're both interesting choices. Well, and I thought you were going to mention Chekhov's dragon, because I feel like that, too, I mean, where Danny goes now that she's on this dragon and the possibility of actually traveling somewhere quickly in the Seven Kingdoms now opens a lot of options, too. I, the reason I didn't say that is I think I was thinking about what happens in the book, and it's not, it's not much of a spoiler, so I'll just say it. She doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. I'm at, so at the, surprised to hear that. At the end of that. the last book of uh, the George R. R. Martin has written called Dance of Dragons, same title as this episode, uh, just more or less following this plot line, she hops on a dragon at the, which appears at the Great Pit in the middle of the games, interrupting the action. She jumps on the dragon and flies away. And in the last chapter, she, the dragon just sort of leaves her someplace and flies away. And she's sitting there going, well, okay. Hmm. I think the titles are different, though, Peter. I feel like people are going to tweet at you if I do not correct you right now. What? I'm pretty sure the book is called A Dance with Dragons. I think it's called A Dance of Dragons. Oh, it doesn't And I think the book that Shireen was reading in the show today was The Dance of Dragons. You're right. The Dance of Dragons is actually, believe it or not, a historical event, a Mm -hmm. fake historical event Mm -hmm. in the mythos of of Westeros. And uh, you're probably right, Dance with. I'm no good at propositions. What do you want from me? (laughs) Propositions, excuse me. Um, the, the The point is because Danny's, uh, I guess I'll call it ending in the book, is so noncommittal and dull, I, I, I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, will they leave her? If they, if they leave her sitting on a sand dune somewhere, not knowing what she's going to do next, that's the book. If they do anything else with her, that's the showrunner's imagination, and I have no idea what, where they're going to go with that. I will be annoyed if she's sitting on a sand dune. Yeah, wondering what to do. I will find that annoying. I found it annoying in the book. I hope they do something else, but I can't guess what it's going to be. I almost feel like she could just hop on the dragon and fly up north and take care of the White Walker situation. There is an interesting thing. Um, The dragons, I mean, again, I'll I'll quote Matt Iglesias, who again is pretty smart at this. He he wants more dragons. He says there should have been more dragons all along. Well, the problem with dragons in the world of Game of Thrones is dragons are the ultimate weapon. Somebody with dragons can't be defeated. And that's one of the reasons why the dragons have been off stage more or less since they were introduced at the end of season one. They're, they haven't played a big role either because they were too small or because they were locked up or because they flew away. And the reason is if somebody has a dragon, there's nothing anybody else can do. It's a little like bringing a knife or it's a little like bringing a gun to a knife fight. And it's a little bit dragon. like bringing a nuclear bomb to a knife fight. I mean, there's just <laughs> it, there's such an imbalance of power. Although, as it, we saw, it seemed like that dragon obviously can fly away from the situation that he was in in the Colosseum for the great games. But he was getting hit with spears and is more is not completely impenetrable and no, also he, maybe he is, is not yeah. and also maybe is not able to deal with cold so there may be that the dragon oh. cannot exist and survive in the cold he's a reptile yeah. so he can when the white walkers are at the edge of the winter fight them from there but i don't know if he can fly all the way north yeah hmm. it's interesting i i mean it's funny i, I guess only because uh, maybe it's out of respect, really, for for the people who've made this television show that we're so obsessed with. I, I, I don't want to presume to know better than they do. So let let it let the word go forth that Peter Sagal decided he wasn't smart enough to guess about something. 
Well, Greta, well, you guess then. What happens to Cersei at the end of this season? I guess with Cersei, I would say that something horrible is going to happen to her, but she will survive past I, the season, the episode. I, I hadn't even thought about it because she wasn't involved in the last episode. Yeah. But I know exactly what's going to happen to Cersei because uh, I know from reading some pre-production press or rather pre-season press that they went ahead and filmed um, a sequence that is in the books. And because I know I won't either take credit or presume to be smart, being, say that I know it, nor will I say anything about it because why spoil the last episode? But I pretty much, uh, I pretty much know where it's going. Is it fair to ask if she will live? Uh, well, uh, I guess I'll say this, if it, and, and there's no guarantee that this means anything anymore. Sure. If, if they follow the books, she will end this season alive. But there at this go. point, we don't know. Uh, at this point in the books, uh, Shireen is still alive. Mance Raider is still alive. Hmm. Uh, Sir Barristan Selmy is still alive. Where is so... Lady Stoneheart? And of course, Lady, <laughs> and of course, <laughs> I guess, uh, I guess, yeah, the best way to put it is... Uh, Oh, Caitlin Stark is not still dead. I guess is the best way to put that. So, <laughs> Peter, you missed Trisha flailing her arms agitatedly. Well, I want Lady Stoneheart to just show up and and uh-huh. I want Lady Stoneheart to show up. If anyone gets to save Sansa, who's not Sansa, if anyone else gets to kill mm-hmm. Ramsay or save Sansa, it has to be Lady Stoneheart or Brienne. So, should we explain oh, yeah. who Lady Stoneheart is for the listeners? Uh, Dude, what do you think? The reincarnated it? version of her mother. Right. Lady Basically, Stark. do you remember when we a couple seasons ago when we met this guy, uh, the Lightning Lord, um, Lord Beric Dondarrion? He was the guy who fought the Hound in the cave, was killed, and came back to life. And we found out that Thoros of Mir has the power to resurrect him using the Lord of Light's power. Well, uh, in the books, you find out that uh, soon after Caitlyn Stark was killed at the Red Wedding, that group of men came upon her. And resurrected her as well. And since Beric Dondarrion, and that character, gave up his own life in the act, she then became the leader of that, the uh, Brotherhood Without Banners, as they're called. So she's been out there in the hinterlands wreaking vengeance upon her enemies in a kind of scary, zombie-like way. And everybody's been waiting for that to occur in the TV show. Yeah, but... man. What? I said, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, but it hasn't occurred. And further, the actress who played Caitlin Stark is on record as saying that's not going to happen. But, but I, mean, I want it to. Yeah, <laughs> Patricia wants it to. So let it be written. Let it be done. Make it so. <laughs> oh, God. I can't. All right, your, all right, your voicemail. No, we no, got to talk, talk about Sansa. Sansa? Okay. I feel like we got to talk about Sansa a little bit, don't you? I, I think the fact that I love this TV show is obvious by the fact that I've been talking about it with you ladies for nine hours now. But uh-huh. um, if Sansa doesn't do something, if she finally doesn't pick up that corkscrew or do something to somebody, I might give up because I'm sorry. You don't mean we that. have been waiting too long for her that. to actually do something. Yeah, she has to. Oh no, she will. Ramsay is not going to survive this season, you guys. Mm. That'll somebody, be a good some major character has to die, and he is the best one for the role. And we're yeah. going to enjoy it, and we're going to enjoy it because it's cathartic to watch people we hate die on TV and movies. And we have some voicemails oh. about that from you all coming up in just a minute. You're listening to Nerd at Recap's Game of Thrones with Peter Sagal. Good transition, Trisha. Nicely done. I like the night, Trisha. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> Peter. come dragons galore and some moves. Oh. To be fair, there's way more booze. 
on the latest episode of Pleasure Town. Time had passed. I knew her right away, of course. I had not laid eyes on her since before the day I fired a slug from a cold peacemaker into her husband. But when she walked into my bar, I knew just who she was. Join the story now at wbez.org slash pleasure town. Nerdette is supported by Macmillan Fierce Reads, presenting the trilogy The Remnant Chronicles. In book one, The Kiss of Deception, a princess's parents arrange her marriage to a prince she's never met. On the morning of her wedding, she flees to a distant village where two mysterious and handsome strangers arrive. One is the jilted prince and the other an assassin sent to kill the princess. A thrilling blend of suspense, mystery, romance, and action makes this a riveting page-turner, and the world-building will appeal to fans of Game of Thrones. The second book in this young adult trilogy is out on July 7th. It's called The Heart of Betrayal, and it's by Mary E. Pearson. Listening to Nerdette Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Sagal. I'm Trisha Bobita here with Greta Johnson and Peter Sagal. We got a lot of voicemails from we you did, all, and yeah. we love them all. We got 15 voicemails this week. That was that's a good number. It's a lot. We, we should say. Uh, do you want to introduce this? Basically, we were talking about uh, what characters we wanted to see die in a satisfactory way, and I kind of mused: Is it ever really satisfactory to see a villain, a baddie? in pop culture and entertainment get killed or is it something that just has to be done because we expect it has to be done and it's never really that satisfying and by asking the question I obviously stake my my own feelings in the latter because that's very rare I enjoy somebody watching somebody die even if it's the most flimsy of pop culture and even if it's a really bad person I, I've always enjoyed like you know the great Pixar endings like where Sid you know ends up terrified of his toys or <laughs> you know uh, the old prospector ends up with that girl who paints her Barbies that to me is much more satisfying. But <laughs> we asked if people could you know nominate their own really satisfying villain deaths from any kind of pop culture they wanted, and these presumably are their responses. I love that you just said that you mused. I feel like no one I muse all the time. I feel like people don't use that in the first person nearly enough. So I just yeah. want to commend you for that. So let's hear what the good people have to say about bad people dying. <laughs> All right. Here's Amy from Fresno. You asked us if there were any really good kills in a movie that were satisfying and just enough. And I was like, yeah, The Princess Bride when the six-fingered man is killed, Count Rogan. And you go Montoyo, man. That was awesome. Thanks. Bye-bye. <laughs> You killed my father. Prepare to die. Stop saying that! Hello! My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die! Now! Offer me money. Yes. Power to promise me that. All that I have and more. Please. Offer me everything I ask for. Anything you want. I want my father back, you son of a bitch. Oh, it's so good. Mandy <laughs> Patinkin. That is a great scene. It's Christopher Guest as the villain and Mandy Patinkin as the hero at that moment. What's really interesting is that is in the book and he ruins it in the book by having an ego keep talking. <laughs> it's like he didn't know when he came up with his great exit line. But yes, that's a good one. I'm willing to grant everybody that. Right? Good one. Yeah. Yep. All right. So here's Tiffany from New York. I'm calling to respond to the call for satisfying villain deaths. And the only two that I can really think of is Ursula. 
and the Little Mermaid. I don't know if that counts because didn't I find that Disney villains usually get what's coming to them in a pretty great way. And the other one I can think about is Bellatrix Lestrange. I said that right. From Harry Potter. And I don't know if it's because it's preceded by Mrs. Weasley yelling, not my daughter, you bitch, in all caps. But it's the saltiest language that J.K. Rowling ever used in her book. Not my daughter, you bitch. <laughs> I found her death quite gratifying. Quite gratifying. Um, Disney has a strange habit of really putting their villains to death in unpleasant ways. And Ursula going down stabbed by the bowsprit yes. of, of one of the ships in the maelstrom at the end is good. It's very operatic. Her tentacles grabbing the ship as she goes down. Uh, although it's interesting. There are a couple things about that. First of all, um, nobody actually kills her, which yeah, is a true. classic thing oh, with villain deaths. They don't want to make the heroes complicit. So it's like, oh, they die because they were so villainous and got themselves in something. The classic one is is like when the, the villain and the hero are fighting and, and, yeah, and the hero is the best of it. And the, and the hero extends a hand to save the villain from the precipice. And the villain goes, no, and strikes at the hero and falls to his death. I so think you're describing you get, Scar in The Lion King. Right. And you get all the satisfaction of the Someone villain else mentioned that one. And none of the guilt of the hero doing it. I think the second one, though, is one of the ones that came to mind first for me when you, ma- when you mentioned it before is that Molly Weasley, who you never expect to be in the battle at all, she spends so much of the series as just this warm maternal figure. She's lost a child to this terrible fight and this woman. And she's right. It is the sauciest language that we hear in the Harry Potter books. And it's well-deserved. It's one of those things where I think cursing in literature is best when it's sort of earned. And Molly Weasley had earned it. And she had earned that death, too. It's to get true. To kill her. And what's interesting is both that and the, the uh, Princess Bride one with Inigo Montoya, they're not so much about the manner or pain or, or even irony of the villain's death. They're about the hero's action. Yeah. We love the fact that, you know, that Inigo Montoya finally gets to, you know, almost literally spit in the face of the man he's been searching for his entire life. And we love the fact that, that as you say, Molly Weasley, who's been not a doormat, but a very domestic and protective figure, finally gets angry and strikes out righteously in righteous rage. And that's what we're excited about, not the, the particularly painful method of the demise of the villain. No, that's true. But I think in all of those cases, you do end up with a sense of justice, even when there has been wrongdoing before in this yeah. really important way, right? I, I'm just skeptical about pop culture justice. Have you ever noticed how many things pop have a death penalty? Justice. Everybody's really nice. got to die. All right. Well, this this is a good one then right now. Here's Evan from Fresno. I don't know why two people from Fresno called us. Fresno loves us. <laughs> Here's Evan. There's nothing to do in Fresno. <laughs> in response to the question of is there ever a cathartic death that had us cheering at the end of a, at a movie or a book? I got to tell you, I love the podcast and I love Peter, but the whole question of whether or not we can feel bad about these people's deaths is absolutely perplexing to me. Peter, the fact that you didn't feel that you felt bad for Joffrey, weird. The fact that you're starting to feel bad for uh, Cersei, that's God, that's that's really weird. And and you know, hopefully Ramsey gets his. There are cathartic deaths everywhere in movies and in books like the nerdiest examples i can think of i mean look at like hans gruber and die hard slow motion falling i think everybody was cheering at that um you know face melting at the end of the raiders of the lost ark that's a good one 
in the movie Speed, uh, the guy got his head chopped off in the subway tunnel, right? I mean, all the time there's people that are like terrible people getting their end in a, in a really awesome way. And I think it's okay for us to kind of cheer a little bit. And I'll definitely be cheering when Ramsey gets his. Anyways, I love the podcast. I don't love the fact that you watch it on, that, that one of you is watching the show on a, on a, on her cell phone. Hopefully it's at least an iPhone 6 Plus or something like that. Anyways, guys, take care. <laughs> Trisha, what kind I, of phone is I it? I was afraid he was going to call for my death. He got <laughs> up there at the beginning. I know. I really enjoyed that, uh, frankly. It's not yeah. an iPhone 6. <laughs> it, 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 a, lot of people, a lot of people who tweeted us mentioned Hans Gruber falling off the tower at the end of Die Hard. Uh, that is a great one, and I don't know how many people noticed this, but what happens, if you go back and watch it, I loved this when I saw it for the first of what must be a hundred times, <laughs> is, is you may remember that when part of the plot is that John McClane and his wife are, are, um, are estranged, and she's pursuing her own career, and she's been given this very valuable watch by the executive who's sort of on the make with her, and as... You know, in the final fight, when Gruber goes flying out the window because he's been shot, he grabs onto the watch, yeah, not yeah. just the wrist, but the watch of um, of Mrs. McLean, and, and John McLean reaches down and undoes the latch, which is just, you know, both insanely sexist, like <laughs> you cannot have a trophy of your own achievement, oh. and also highly ironic death for him. Everybody loves Hans Gruber, poor old Alan Rickman. Plunging to his death. Oh, you know what? I've never seen Die Hard. I was going to say, I bet Greta's never <laughs> seen Die Hard, but I wasn't going to out you for it. Yep. No. Why have you never seen Die Hard? What is your problem? I have seen approximately 10 movies in my life, and Die Hard is not one of them. And you seven could, of them you, are the Harry Potter movies. So. <laughs> You've seen seven Harry Potter movies. I don't think I've seen all else? seven Harry Potters. Um, the Little Mermaid and oh, The Princess Bride and Mary Poppins. God, that's really bad, huh? Yeah, that is terrible. <laughs> She's read a lot of books, guys. I have it's read okay. a lot of books. Yeah, the Princess Bride book is really great, too. Yeah. Anyway, any any more voicemails for us? No, that's it. Except we did get this really, this one lady who's just super enthusiastic, and I loved it enough that I think we should just listen to a little bit of it. Ready? Okay. So I just wanted to say thank you, and I don't know if anyone will ever listen to this, but if you put it on your show, I'll be so like, oh, like, oh my God. So anyway, this is Mady, uh, and I'm from Baltimore, and I love your show, and I love the recap. Thank you. I just well, had to mention that one. We're going to have to put that in with our uh, Braun. Mace Terrell right. and her oh. are three singers. Oh, yeah. That yeah. was great. I and if you live really in Baltimore, good. you should come see uh, the Baltimore Orchestra, <laughs> by the way, this weekend. It's a, it's a plug. <laughs> no, Go I'm ahead. I'm sorry. Go I'm ahead. Sorry. I'm narrating Candide with the Baltimore Orchestra. He's narrating it in Boston. No, no in, in Baltimore. Baltimore. Baltimore, hon. <laughs> Baltimore. <laughs> um, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So come down and see me. I'm still and, uh, really worried that somebody's going to tell you that it's just a big trick they're playing on you, Peter. They're just... They're just... <laughs> <laughs> They've bought me a plane ticket, sent me a score of Candide. It's a ruse. It's such it's a, a complicated ruse. It's a ruse to do what? Just to break your heart, you know? Just to get me out of town so Michael Feldman can take my place on this podcast? <laughs> what? <laughs> That's a good idea. We should have Feldman do it. Absolutely not, Peter. I would never... <laughs> <laughs> that is it for this week. We love hearing your voicemails. Keep calling. Tell us how you think it will end, all of it, and I guess this series. We're done. We're done I, with the I, books. I, I want to hear. So from, it's all guesswork now. I want to hear if there's anybody out there who feels any any sympathy for Stannis, as oh, I evidenced okay. is possible. 
This I didn't is where say we that would... I felt it. I said that I could see how one could. So All this right. is the patriarchy jingle portion of the show. Yeah. And, and I, by the way, for those of you who are interested in the patriarchy jingle, I have commissioned <laughs> some musician friends of mine, and hopefully we will introduce in the last podcast the official patriarchy jingle of recaps Game of Thrones. So <laughs> tune in for that, if nothing else. <laughs> I am so excited to hear that. So call us and tell us if you have any sympathy, empathy for Stannis. That number is 312-948-4687. You can find us online at wbez.org slash recaps. We are at nerdatpodcast on Twitter, and he is at Peter Seigel. And we really love talking about Game of Thrones with all of you, and we're down to the wire here with the episode, so tell us your feels. We're listening. Except don't use the word feels, because it makes my skin crawl. Yeah. Use it with a bunch of Zs just to make his skin <laughs> <laughs> The show is produced by us with help from our WBEZ cohort, especially Joe Dassault and Brad Helm. Our theme music was composed by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. You can find links to all of the things, including that mug that you retumbled for Stannis that was like best dad ever, and all sorts Revoked. of other things on our website at nerdatpodcast.com. <laughs> Oh my God, is that your glass of sake, dude? It was. It lasted almost, unfortunately, it was empty, as you can imagine, by this time. Oh my God, that's amazing. We share links to what we love on Facebook, which you can see if you like us there. Chicago Public Media creates award-winning content about the issues that affect nerds like you. More information is available at chicagopublicmedia.org. Throw us some stars and write a review if you're feeling generous. Like the excellent Olivia RCK did on iTunes. Peter. Thanks yes. so much for staying somewhat sober during this Yeah, it was experience. my pleasure. And uh, thank you for staying up late. I very much appreciate oh, it. Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate that. All right. And I'm glad we got this done. And uh, I will talk to you guys next week. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tanwen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.